Amen. Please take your seats. If you have your Bibles, please turn in them to Psalm number five. Psalm five. Good morning. I'm Chris Risk, and I'm filling in this morning for Pastor Mike McDonald, who is out on sabbatical. And uh, I'm going to start out Psalm five with reading just the first two verses here. It says, Psalm five to the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. How's your prayer life? If you ever get mentored or discipled by somebody sooner or later, what they're going to ask you is, how's your prayer life? And if you're honest, you'll probably go, well, it's okay. You know, I could do better. I'll tell you what will do better in your prayer life. Tragedy, stress, worry. Then you'll say, yeah, my prayer life is great. I got a great prayer life. That's what wrote Psalm 5. That's what made David write Psalm 5, stress and worry and, and maybe a little bit of, of anxiety. Before I begin, though, I want to pray, all right? Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to come to you in prayer Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us and giving us sonship and daughtership that we can come into your presence. We can come with boldness. We can come as much as we want, as many times as we want, as often as we want, and you always hear us. We thank you and give you all the glory for that. As always, we want to pray for a church in the area, and I lift up uh, Heritage Christian Fellowship and Pastor Sean Sloan, and I ask for you to be a, uh, them to be a light in their community for you. I ask you to give them the words to say, give him the words to say, by your spirit, teach your people there at that church, and lift them up and give them what they need, hear their prayers, and bless their plans. Thank you for this message that we have that came from your child, King David. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Psalm 5 is, a, is a, in a group of psalms that's called the morning songs. O oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. It was meant to be sung in the morning. And this psalm is a prayer put to music. Uh, why is David praying this? Well, David is praying this because he was king, King David, but he wasn't exactly entirely secure in his kingship. You know, he had a lot of people that thought that they could do the job a whole lot better than him. Israel was actually a bunch of tribes like uh, the Confederate States or something. They were tribes and they had their own leadership and their own elders, and a lot of these people thought that they could do a better job at being king than David did. And that has got to be kind of stressful. And at worst, it can make a ruler or a politician paranoid. And that's not always a good thing to have when your rulers are paranoid. That's what got Psalm 5 written. The difference between King David is and any other ruler is that he took his stress and his worry to God in prayer and one of his prayers is this prayer right here Psalm 5 when we're pushed and pressured we turn to the Lord in prayer and that that is David where David went in him so it starts out with this statement in him God's people have the privilege to meet with God know God and become like God through prayer prayer is not just for asking for things Prayer is something that's changing you. 
in his presence, it is changing you. Psalm 5 to the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. King David was a lot of things. He was a warrior. He was a freedom fighter. He was a shepherd. He was king of Israel, deadly accurate with a sling. But most of all, all through that, King David was a gospel blues singer from out of the south and a praise and worship song writer. It says here that he played the harp, but this one says that he was written, this was written for the flutes and it was sent to the choir master. It was meant to be sung by the choir. It was meant to be sung by the praise and worship team in the temple. That's what this was. It was meant to be sung and uh, it's a prayer, one that we can learn from. It starts out with song, uh, verse one, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. I'm going to pray, Lord, and I want you to hear me out. And he uses words like groaning. He word, uses words like the sound of my cry. This is going to be desperate. Have you ever prayed like that? You ever prayed with groaning and the sound of my cry? David is stressed. This song was written probably while he was being chased by his son, Absalom, another guy who thought he could do a better job at being king than his own dad, and that's got to hurt. That's got to hurt. And what did David do? Well, he ran. He ran away to regroup, but most of all, and here's the difference between David and another king like Saul, he took his stress and his worries to God. David was a king, but he never lost sight of who his real king was. And it's important to notice that David had no ego or arrogance. He knew his king and who he was. My king and my God, for to you do I pray. And we can learn a lot from Psalm 5 and what we can do when pressure comes and when there really are people who are out to get us. David prayed this prayer in a song, this song. And there are three things that we can learn from it. First of all, we learn how to prepare to meet our Lord in prayer. Verse 3, our Lord, uh, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Too often we just jump into prayer without spending any time to prepare our hearts, to prepare for this time that we're going to do, prepare for our prayer. And that's what he's doing. If we met with God the way we meet with a whole lot of people, I don't think it would please God. We have these short little sidebar meetings all the time, and they end in a minute. <clears throat> and I'm not saying you can't have a spontaneous short prayer. I'm worried that that's all we ever have, our short, spontaneous prayers. Sudden, too short, and few between. Do your kids do that to you? Do you like it when your kids do that to you? Nothing for three months, and then finally you get a call, hey, my car needs tires. You know, can you, or maybe it's something like, not even that. It's like, hey, uh, nothing for three months, and then, hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, that's great. Well, in Jesus' name, amen. That's not okay. And when I bring these things up, I'm not saying that there's no such thing as a really good short prayer. I'll tell you a really good short prayer. Help! That's a great, really short prayer, and God does hear it. I'm saying that we have to have a lot more than shooting texts to God if we're going to grow. We have to have fellowship with him. We start out by understanding our God and who we're praying to. He says, oh Lord. When you see oh Lord like that in all caps, that is the English translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah. 
That's who he's praying to, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The I am, a real living God who really exists. He's saying, in the morning you hear my voice. Now, you, you're probably going to hear a lot of sermons and a lot of devotionals about how we're supposed to get up before dawn and, and pray. I heard, a, I heard a guy give a devotional at a men's breakfast one time, and he was talking. His whole point was how we need to get up before dawn at 4.30 in the morning, and we need to pray first thing in the morning and everything. Well, I'm not a dairy farmer, okay? And, and I went to him later, and I said, I said, why so early? And this is what his answer was. He said, because we should give God our best time. And five o'clock in the morning is not my best time. I, I have tried to pray at five o'clock in the morning, and you know what? I fell asleep. And it's not my best time. But I do agree that there is a best time of our day, and it's probably in the morning. But, you know, whatever it is for you is different for everybody that's here in the room. I'm saying make an appointment with God and have a meeting and talk. You say you're too busy. Let me tell you, if you don't get it done first thing in the morning, probably you're not going to find time the rest of the day. I don't have time, you'll say. Jesus was a busy man. But Mark 1.35 says, And in the morning, a great while before day, he rose up and went out and departed into a desert place, and there he prayed. Jesus carved prayer time out of his sleep time. You can find some time to pray. You can. You can. You can find it if you want to. David prepared for this meeting in the morning. He says, In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you, and I watch. Now, the word sacrifice in here is not really in the Hebrew. But all the translators put sacrifice in here because the word for prepare means to prepare the wood for a burnt sacrifice on the altar. You know how, uh, if you've ever been camping, you know that when you're going to make a campfire, you don't take a bunch of logs and throw them on the ground and try and light it with a Bic lighter. You, you know, you, you prepare, okay? You have some twigs. And you start out with a crumpled up newspaper and then you put a little teepee around the of twigs around the newspaper, and you light that. That's the word. That's the idea that he's conveying here. I prepare. I'm coming prepared, and I'm going to prepare for this talk. He said, "There's a. Uh, I prepare, and then I pray. You know what the, 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 he says, I prepare, and then I prepare a sacrifice for you, and I watch. And that word watch is to look intently. It means to lean forward, to peer into the distance, by implication, to focus on the weight. You know what it's like? It's like if you ever throw a tennis ball with a dog. You throw the tennis ball, and the ball, dog goes and brings the tennis ball back, and then he, you take it out of his mouth, and the dog looks at the tennis ball. He's waiting for you to throw it again. So you throw it again, and he takes it, and he gets it, brings it back, and you take it out of his mouth, and the dog's looking at the tennis ball. He's not looking at anything else. There could be cats nearby or anything. He does, he's looking at the tennis ball. That's what the word is. I prepare a sacrifice for you, and I watch Watch for what? Watch and wait for God to show up, for the fellowship to begin. That's what we watch for. Don't be in a rush about it. Why do we have to be in such a big rush about it? There's a benefit to just wasting our time with God. Prayer is many things. It is supplication. We pray for people we know and we love. We pray for health situations. Absolutely. We get into our small groups and everything, and we say, does anybody have any prayer that they want to have? And 90% of the things we bring up is a doctor's appointment next Tuesday or health issues. And I'm not saying that we don't pray for that kind of stuff because that is supplication for each other. I'm just worried that that's all we ever have, our health issues when we pray. Don't we have anything else? Don't we have any praises or anything? 
Prayer is also intercession. We pray for the family members who aren't obeying God. We pray for co-workers that we know. Prayer is thanksgiving. We thank God for our blessings. Prayer is confession of sins. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Prayer is all those things and more, and it should take a lot more time if we want to get all that in. But mostly, above all else, the thing that's the most fun in prayer is just killing time, shooting the breeze with God. The more time we spend with him in his word, in his presence, the more we grow and get to know him. <clears throat> and that's what we're watching for, as long as it takes. I tell you what, it's like this. When I was a kid in vacation Bible school, I won a prize. I won a little plastic glow-in-the-dark cross. Now, you know how glow-in-the-dark stuff works, right? You hold it up to the light bulb, and you hold it as long as you can until your little arm gets tired, and then you put it up to it, and you hold it with the other arm, and then you, uh, you uh, take it into a dark room, and... Uh, glows you take it you know and then when it starts to fade you take it back to the light bulb and you take it you try to hold it up there even more and go back into the dark room and it glows like that it's like that Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and when he came down from the mountain the Bible says his face glowed and he finally put a veil over his face not because the glow was too much but because it was starting to fade and he didn't want people to see that the glow was fading. Now, seven-year-old me knew exactly what the answer to that was. You take it back to the light, and you put it back up to the light. Think about that for prayer. Think about that, what's going on. You are sitting and talking in the presence of God, and the more you do it, the more you do it, the easier it gets, and the brighter you get. We do confess our sins, and we do ask for many things, but why hang up there? We prepare, and then we watch. You know, you want to know how God wants us to pray, how he wants us to do this. And I'm telling you, this is biblical. God wants us to pester him. He wants God to pester him. Oh, yeah, keep your finger in Psalm 5. I want you to go to Luke chapter 18. This is how God wants us to talk to him. This is how he wants us to treat him. Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will God not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Do we have the faith to keep at it? To keep coming to him and constantly, constantly keep bringing our prayers to him. We see faith, uh, faith really is Believing that he's there and he's listening. God knows what you need before you even ask, do you? How important is it to you? Do not think that you're sinning if you're pestering God. 
with the things you want to pray to him about. I can do it again. Go, go to the left in your Bible to Luke chapter 11. Once again, Jesus talking. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 8. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. There it is in red and white. Pestering God. This is Jesus saying, you are to pester God. That word impudence, maybe some of you NIV folks might have shameless audacity in your Bibles. If you guys are King James Version, you might have the word uh, importuity in there. And that is a word, all these words, great translation, it means persistence and it means shameless persistence. It means persistent to the point of annoyance. That's how God wants us to pray to him, how often he wants us to pray to him. It's important to you, right? How important is it? Important enough to keep at it? Go back to Psalm 5 now. Jesus is teaching us to talk to him constantly to the point to where you're wondering if you're being annoying. Is it hard to do that? Is it hard to talk to him constantly, regularly, annoyingly, all the time? It doesn't have to be hard. I'll tell you something about me. I don't like talking on the phone. Never have liked talking on the phone. It's an, I got to talk on the phone to get by in society and to work and everything. But what I don't like doing is holding this thing up to the side of my head for an hour. I hate it. Now, my dad always wanted to talk on the phone. He didn't like emails. He didn't like texts. He wanted to talk on the phone. He had a computer. I bought him a little camera to go on top of his monitor so that maybe we could like video talk by Skype or something like that. He didn't, he didn't hook it up. My dad always wanted to talk on the phone. Thank God for hands-free Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, you know, earbuds that you had microphones in and everything so that I could talk with my dad and I could put it on, or, or even better speakerphone, and I could putz around the house or putz in the yard or drive in the car or eat my lunch or anything, and I could talk to my dad anywhere I was. It's like that. Why don't we ever just sit and talk with God anywhere we are? You can do that. You don't have to light candles and set a pillows down for you to kneel and everything like that. You can, on Bluetooth, earbuds, talk to God anytime you want, constantly. Why don't we do that? And I think it might be for a lot of us because we're guilty of disbelief. We don't really believe he's there listening to us all through our day. If we truly believed, what would we do? One of the things that we'll do if we stay up against the light constantly is that we will get to know our God. David knew his God. And here is what he knew about God. It's right here in verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil will not dwell with you. David knew God. He knew what pleases God and what does not. And that's important because number two is know your Lord through prayer. Here is our God. Verse 5. 
The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. God does not delight in the wicked. And we hear every day, God, does, God doesn't hate anybody. Well, this is awkward. Looking at it here, verse 5, you hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Whoa. It doesn't say he hates evil. It says he hates all evildoers. It doesn't just say he will destroy lies. It says he will destroy those who speak lies. Don't think that God is apathetic with people rebelling against him. There are people who he hates. This is all through the Bible. Psalm 7 says this, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. We just don't hear sermons like that anymore. Unless you listen to a lot of Paul Washer. About the ultimate fate of the evildoer. We don't hear sermons like that because they're not really very seeker-sensitive, are they? But the Bible says that the wicked, the wicked are in big, big trouble. Now, there's two major attitudes that we can have about knowing that. The first one is that we can look forward to the destruction of the wicked. Oh, yeah, we could pull up a lawn chair, pop some popcorn, and root God on. Yeah, get them. Mess them up. Crush them like bugs. Tell me you don't think that every now and then when you watch the news. There is a prayer of the saints that's found several times in the Bible, and maybe you've even prayed it, and it goes like this. How long, O oh Lord, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to let this keep on going? It's all over the Bible. It's in Psalm 13. It's in Psalm 90, or 79. Psalm 94 says, O oh Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? It's all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation 6.10. Lord, when are you going to judge these people? How long are you going to let them keep on getting away with this? That is a legitimate prayer that his people are saying all through the Bible. Isaiah 64 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake in your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. God, I wish you would just split the sky and come down and wipe that smirk off their faces. There are people that God does hate and he will condemn. If you know God, you will know who they are. This psalm, Psalm 5, is what theology nerds call an imprecatory psalm. To imprecate means to ask God to curse someone, and they are in the Bible. God, God will judge. God will judge, not you, not me. God will judge, and there's no reason to ignore that. To know God is to understand he's our father, but he hates the wicked and he will severely judge them. And the guy who understood that the best was Jesus. The reason Jesus came was to save his people from God's wrath on the wicked because we were the wicked. 
And such were some of you. If you want to know the magnitude of the gratitude that we should all have for God's salvation, we have to take the thing that we were saved from, God's wrath. Now, there's a second attitude we can have by knowing that God hates the wicked, and that is to realize that the wicked are profoundly condemned. If you don't care, then maybe that prayer time that I'm talking about can be you asking God why you don't care, and can he help you start caring? This is really God. These people are really in big trouble by a real powerful God and it is not okay to have a God who's a squishy gooey care bear that is not the God of the Bible that's Santa Claus the real God is a consuming fire he's not a tame lion the gospel is that you can be at peace with God because the wrath of God has already been taken by Jesus if we did not know that God has set a day in which he'll judge the world then we would just shut up and let you keep on going Only people who care will say something to you about that. The people who let this happen, who don't care and don't say anything, are probably people who think that God is just some kind of a magical sky daddy who will just let everybody slide. The real God of the Bible is an all-consuming fire. The God of Exodus through Deuteronomy is still God right now this morning. And that is the God that we are praying to. We praise God for his righteous judgment. We love his appearing. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need our hearts to line up with his. And that is not something that happens in a 60-second prayer that you say twice a week. It takes relationship. It takes fellowship. Killing time with God is a lifestyle. Staying around him and living in his life gives us his heart. And God's heart says As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Knowing that, knowing as God gave David his heart. So number three is become like your Lord through prayer. Verse 7. But I, in contrast to the wicked, but I... Through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. David is saying here that there's a difference between him and the wicked who, who, who do not follow God. And the difference is not in his own power or his righteousness. Here is salvation by grace being taught in the Old Testament. Not counting on his own power or his own righteousness to approach God, he is able to enter the presence of the Lord Through the abundance of your steadfast love. David approached God because God had an abundant love for him. And he did not give David a license because of that to have an ego or to be arrogant. His reaction was to stay humble and respectful. I will bow down toward you, toward your holy temple in the fear of you. The fear of you. People say, you'll hear people say, I'm not afraid of God. God's my daddy. I'm a king's kid. I have no fear of God. Well, the word here for fear is really means respect and reverence. Martin Luther talked about two different kinds of fear. One is a servile fear, and the other is called a filial fear. A servile fear is the fear of punishment. It's a fear that uh, the, the criminal would have for the jailer. It's a, a fear that a slave would have for a cruel master. It's the fear that you have when you're being pulled over for speeding. That fear 
That's a, that's a servile fear. We don't have that. The other kind of fear is a filial fear, and it's a respectful, a respectful fear of a parent. A filial fear is not a fear of punishment. It's a fear of disappointing somebody that we love and respect. We don't have a servile fear. 1 John 4.18 says there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But we still need to have a fear. We still need to have a filial fear. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that is the type of fear that David is talking about. David's respect is saying that God is the one who is Lord here. Verse 8, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Lead me. Don't do what I, will, I say. I'll, I'm going to follow you. You are Lord. Lead me, Lord. I'm looking to you to know the way. I'm not righteous. It's your righteousness in contrast to his enemies. It's not my way. He doesn't say, make, he, he says, make your way straight before me. Let it be clear and easy to see. I don't want to be in rebellion against you. I want to follow you. We all have plans, don't we? One of God's favorite jokes. I had plans. (laughs) You had plans. We have plans all the time. And what we keep on asking God to do is bless our plan. We plan to get that job. We plan to go to that place. We plan to marry that person. We plan to be that thing. God, if you would just make me a millionaire, I swear to you, I'll use it for your glory. That's a good plan. Why won't you bless that plan? When our plan doesn't pan out, then we get angry and we start to claim that God doesn't answer prayer. May I suggest that your prayer shouldn't be your plan. What it should be is, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Make your way straight before me. That's how it works. That's how it's always worked. That's how it works all the way into the New Testament. James chapter 4. 13 to 15 says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's how it works. Don't get mad at God when he says no to your plans. If he's your Lord, then he has better plans. Don't you believe that? Absolutely. We pray for the job. We pray for the health. We pray for our plan. But the goal of spending time with God is that we grow in trust and we pray, make your way straight before me. Spending time with God, spending time in his word, spending time with his people. Of course, we don't do that perfectly, though do we? 1 John 1, 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We do sin. Don't say you never sin. 1 John is not talking about perfect people, though. It's talking about lifestyle, patterns of life. A child of God is miserable when they're not right with God. And it just gets worse the older you get in your walk. But there are people who have no problem rebelling against God all through the week and then coming into church on Sunday and acting like there's no issue at all. It's not the same thing. The child of God is certainly not flippant about sin. There are definitely people who are not his. Verse 9, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. 
Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. You ever seen this before? This is the passage that Paul is quoting in Romans chapter 3 when he's saying there is none righteous, no, not one. None righteous. That was us. That was all of us. There's supposed to be a difference now between what we were and what the Holy Spirit is growing us to be. One of the most important things we need to be is people with truth in our mouth. Verse 9 is an awful human being. Liar, self-destructive. Look at that last line. They flatter with their tongue. That's what David was dealing with. He was the king, and he had people that were smiling and flattering and lying to his face. You know the type. And I hope it's refreshing to you to know that God knows the type, and he isn't fooled by the type. He knows exactly who these people are. Look at, and he, he will judge them. Look at verse 10. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them be by, fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Judge them, Lord. Judge them between me and them. Lead me, I will follow. Who's in the wrong here? Lord, judge. If they're guilty, then let them bear it. If they have evil advice, let it backfire on them. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. You know when a judge bangs the gavel, court's dismissed. Clear the court. And why? Because they rebelled against David? No, before they have rebelled against you. They haven't sinned against me. I'd forgive them if they sinned against me. They are condemned because they're rebelling against God. How? By being liars and transgressors. And this is because that's what they were on the inside. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Because what you are on the inside will come out. All of this on the outside is just showing what they already were on the inside. Luke chapter 6, 43 to 44. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For fruits are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bushes. Apple trees make apples. You don't staple oranges on an apple tree and say, it's an orange tree. It doesn't work like that. But God's people, verse 11, but let all those who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. The difference between the wicked and the righteous is more than just who does good things and does bad things. The difference is what heart it is that motivates them. And you don't get that because you're a nice person and you recycle. You get that because you took refuge in him. Colossians 3.3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're not the one being seen anymore by God. Christ is the one being seen. You are hidden. You're shielded. You're in his protection. You have taken refuge in him. You've heard it in the songs. Our God is a strong tower. That's what that means. Verse 11, but let all those who take refuge in you rejoice. That's where you want to be, hidden in him. People guarded in him get to rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. Look at that list of things you get. Rejoice, sing for joy, spread your protection over them, may exult in you. This is what we're doing. We're taking refuge, protection in him. David had traitors and backstabbers all around him. He was afraid. We watch the news and we get angry and we get afraid. 
but we have a bomb shelter that we can dive into, a bomb shelter that we can live in every day, even though we go out into the world and live and work there. And I want to mention something here about the joy, the rejoice, sing for joy. These things are facts, <coughs> and they're not feelings, because joy is not always the same as happy. We don't always feel happy, do we? We don't always sing for joy because the people I mentioned when I started, but because we owe taxes, or our kids are rebelling, or our parent is in hospice, or fill in the blank. What David is saying that the, the, these are facts, and they don't care much about your feelings. Fact number one, God has spread his protection over his children. That's a fact. That's not a feeling. We can have joy in that, but not always happy. That does not mean we don't get sick and we don't have accidents or we don't lose loved ones or a job. God's protection is secure no matter how bad we fall or sin or stray. Knowing that we have that protection will have an effect. And the effect that we will have is that those who love your name may exult in you. It comes from knowing that fact and not from what we feel. Fact number two, rejoicing, singing for joy, and exulting in our products are of knowing God and his solid word. We are grounded in Jesus, not feelings. We get joy and peace and patience as fruits of the Holy Spirit, and we can get them in the middle of the worst battlefields of our lives. Joy is not the same as happy. Happy will come and go, and so because of that, I want to stress not to fake happy and call it joy because you're supposed to have joy. I have been a Christian for many years through many dangers, toils, and snares, and I have known people who believed with all their heart that they were supposed to be peppy and giddy and happy all the time because if you weren't, somehow you were sinning now. Somehow you were not doing and living up what God wanted you to be all the time, which was peppy and happy and positive. And if anybody wasn't, they thought they were sinning. You want joy. Absolutely we want joy. There will be times when we are giddy and happy. Absolutely. But don't fake it when it's not there. And, and make sure that you, if a Christian brother or sister comes to you and they say that they're sad... Don't tell them that they better get unsad right now. Aren't you saved? You're supposed to be peppy and giddy and happy all the time. Every single one of us who knows Jesus and loves him will know that sometimes we do get sad and depressed. May I say to you that you're not alone and you're not disappointing God when you feel sad. If you want to hear some real sad lack of happy, read the Psalms. God does allow you to pray sad, crying prayers. Remember how we started groaning? Hear my cries. God does allow you to pray sad prayers to him. God does allow you to complain to him. God does allow you to pray, uh, complain about people to him. And anybody who says different hasn't read the Psalms or read Lamentations. There's one. He does allow us to ask for judgment. How long, O oh Lord, judge between me and them? How long are you going to let this keep on going? I would love to give you a quick formula for getting joy. All the pastors would love to give you some kind of a, of a gift card. Here you go. 
Oh, joy, yeah, I get it now. I've told you the truth. Joy comes when you have a habitual lifestyle that comes into God's presence daily. But a lot of people would rather have a step-by-step process or a, or a golden verse, you know, or a magic eight ball or a fortune cookie, you know, to give. And this stuff like that just doesn't work like that. It works by taking, by knowing your Lord and spending time with him every day, taking refuge in him and preparing and watching for him. And that does not come when the only prayer you ever do is saying grace for your lunch. That's why it's a walk and not a rocket sled, okay? i tell you a secret, though. I did 23 years in the Air Force. I retired as a Master Sergeant, but I didn't do 23 years in the Air Force looking like this, okay? I did have to do physical fitness tests called PT tests. We had to do them all the time. I uh, had to do so many sit-ups and push-ups and tape measure thing and run a mile and a half under a certain amount of time, and... I did it. I mean, I didn't get kicked out. I did 23 years, and I retired as a master sergeant. I got promoted, but I learned the secret, and the secret is this. You don't start preparing for your PT test the day before your PT test, okay? What I mean by that is that if you know, and they tell you months in advance when your PT test is going to be, you need to start running now. That's when it's got to be. All of us are going to have a trial in our life. All of us are going to have to go through probably a tragedy in our lives. And what we need to do is prepare for it now. All of us are going to have to run a marathon. And the day to start training for your marathon is not the day before your marathon. We need to start training now. And so many people, people who are Christians, believers... Neglect the simple blocking and tackling disciplines that you need to make yourself strong and make yourself in him, uh, stronger in him. Reading the Bible, staying in community with other believers and prayer, the pillars of the faith. We get out of shape and then we run out of time. We go through a storm and then we get serious and then we pray and we're rusty at it. We want to read the Bible and we don't know where to go. We go to the pastors and we ask for some kind of a deep word of advice that'll just click in our heads and make it all clear now. They say things that are true, but then the sadness hasn't gone away. The trial hasn't gone away. The trial's not going to go away. You're going to go through the storm. You're going to go through the trial. That's not what it's about. It's about being hidden in him and being strong in him for when the trial comes. It's not nearly as bad as it would have been without him. Let those who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. You know King David didn't get assassinated, right? You know that he didn't get lose his kingdom in a power coup or anything like that. He died in his bed as king. Verse 12, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. There's a list, bless, cover, shield. That's where David lived. You want to live there too. Once again, not righteous on our own merits. You know David's sins and how bad they were. No, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because that's what he covers his children with. 
And we have that now as a privilege. We have the privilege to be able to pray constantly, boldly, confidently, sadly, complaining. We have that as a privilege that we can come to him anytime we feel like it because he's our father. And none of us had that before without Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you. Glory to you. Glory to you for your privilege that you have given us, that we can come into your presence whenever we feel like it. Father, we just love you. We want to show you respect. We want to show you confidence. We want to show you strong, always in our lives. We beg you to draw us near, remind our hearts, draw us to you that we can stand in your light and stay there and live there and be confident there and let your light shine and shine and shine brighter in us as we go our separate ways. Thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much for this salvation. To you be all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.